You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today is a guest speaker. We have Danny Dome, co-founder and CEO at GoBackly. GoBackly was in the midst of it fundraising once the COVID hit. And in this episode, we'll talk about how Danny adjusted to the COVID, how he's approaching fundraising now, and what his next steps are going to be. So, Danny, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on GoBackly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, kind of long story short, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and build product tech businesses. But during the last recession, got sidetracked and ended up starting a marketing agency. And uh, after about eight years of, of working on that through the highs and lows, I ended up finding that partnerships with other agencies was the most profitable way to go. And I got really interested in how virtual teams can collaborate and act as one. So as I was no longer really needed in the day-to-day side of the agency, I started focusing on that. And Finally decided to actually sell that in order to uh, pursue the venture of, of uh, pursuing this idea full time. So as I was considering to sell uh, my agency last year, I had quite a few friends who I was meeting with coffee with and discussing the ideas that I had. And one of my long friends who I had been in contact with for about 10 years, uh, I had met with him and told him about the idea and the concept. And I first met him when I was interviewing for a job at his startup back in 2009. And I actually turned down the job, but wanted to keep in touch and and build a friendship with him because I really respected his technical entrepreneurial entrepreneurial experience. And so he and I met for coffee uh, in in that summer. And at that point he said, hey, when you do this, I I wanna co-found it with you. So starting in uh, January of this year, I started taking meetings between Miami to Austin, everywhere in between, because that's where I happened to be at the time. And we were prospecting this idea and at the same time uh, finalizing the the legal work and paperwork for founding Gobekli under uh, the vision of helping uh, virtual teams collaborate better and, and work together better. And uh, as we did that, we got a lot of great feedback, but uh, that was, of course, when COVID hit. I was actually in Austin, uh, just as South by Southwest was shut down. And that was the, the point where we really took a step back. We had literally just finished our paperwork uh, you know, to incorporate maybe a week before COVID hit. And you know, I, I was having you know, three, four meetings with angel investors per week. And at that point, we, we just put everything on pause for a few months while we kind of first waited to you know, see what, what was going to happen with COVID, but also with all the input and advice we had gotten in the, in the first month or two, we had a lot of product updates that, that we had to work on. So we ended up uh, kind of knuckling down all the way until uh, June, uh, working on the product uh, with the input and advice that we had gotten in those first few weeks of prospecting. And then, uh, and then ever since then, just uh, since January, we've been meeting with uh, a lot of potential investors, generated you know lots of interest. But you know, certainly people are shy um, uh, to put the money forward these days, and so it makes the approach very different. So we've uh, done a lot of experimentation, you know, with different techniques, and now we've got 
about 100 angels who say they love the idea and are interested in uh, investing in a later stage. The current pipeline is about uh, 30 people deep in active conversations. And uh, I've really kind of got it down to a good science. But at the end, end of the day, I'm a fundraising rookie. Uh, I have built and exited a company uh, already, but it was bootstrapped and a service-based business. So this is my first time in the fundraising game and in the and in the the product game really so uh you know happy to share you know my experience so far and uh you know i, I do have a, a few tips of things that are working so far with us and i'm very happy you know to share that you know with whoever needs those you know tips and tricks but also you know just share some encouragement with people Perfect. Encouragement definitely can help. And by the way, good luck to you in that fundraising process. Uh, but first question is going to be, how will you find those investors? So you said that pre-COVID, you were meeting like uh, four investors per week. Mm -hmm. What's the number now? Are you actually, are you still meeting people? I mean, not in person, of course, but over Zoom. And major question is, how do you get in touch with those people pre-COVID versus post-COVID? Uh, yeah, like everybody, I, I initially started with my close network. And, uh, and then from there started, you know, trying to go through uh, Crunchbase and other websites that list angels in particular. What actually worked back in pre-COVID and is, is working now with a few adjustments is LinkedIn. Um, I am on LinkedIn every single day and uh, I have quite the extensive network now. But uh, back in the day, I used to just do kind of a, a shotgun approach and, you know, look for anybody and everybody you know who had you know angel or vc in their name and then you know tried to land a meeting with them uh today you know that that really is not effective i find that those conversations tended to fizzle off really quickly so just making sure that you're you're using good search criteria in order to narrow people uh down based off of number one do they make investments number two what kind of investments do they make you know are they early stage pre-seed in my case um, and number three, do they have the right industry focus uh, so that what your company is is relevant to them? The kind of on the matching side of things, I've really had uh, I've really discovered that it's important to craft your profile so that it matches the angels uh, that or angel groups, you know, sometimes that you're going after. So in in creating my LinkedIn profile, I wanted to make sure that the the messaging was on brand and on point for the uh the type of business that we're doing and what stage we're at so that that's super clear and what value it brings so that when people see a request from me um it's typically about a 30 to 40 percent acceptance rate that i get and then i'll follow that up with with a message that just asks you know if they're interested in looking at an early stage startup within my industry. And just a simple question like that is clearly human and respectful. Um, I do no automation whatsoever, uh, just because I want to make sure I understand every single profile I'm looking at and have a reason for reaching out to that person in particular. Um, and I don't reach out to people more than once. It's, it's one message, if they see it, great. If they don't see it, then you know we move on. Um, I had, you know, tried different methods of being a little bit, uh, you know, more broad, you know, and, and like a shotgun approach that really don't work. Um, I applied some of my uh, my uh, marketing automation experience in some of uh, my earlier attempts and just the, the results on what would work marketing, even a direct marketing standpoint to angels, to 
just does not um, sync up with them. It lacks right. the authenticity that's needed. Definitely, Sprint Pre does not work in the fundraising space. And one thing that I wanted to ask you here is, uh, and one thing that I probably disagree with you is, uh, why do you only reach out to a person once? In my personal experience, sometimes it takes like two, three, four messages to actually get in touch with that person because they have just like insane number of messages coming in and they might just, you know, didn't, uh, might just not notice your message. Why don't you do multiple? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of reasons. So first of all, they're the people who you message once and you don't hear back because they haven't read it. And then they're the ones who have. So the ones who have, I, typically think I only have two shots in, in order to approach these people. And I could either spin my second shot now and seem desperate, right? Or I can, you know, do it at my next iteration and tell them that there's been progress since then. Um, and with those people, there's something important to notice is that on LinkedIn, there are red receipts no matter what. And so you could tell if somebody has seen the message or not. And what I do is I just give them the opportunity to say yes or no. That's not a big time investment. I don't even tell them about the product. I simply say, I'm in your industry. I'm early stage. Are you interested in, in looking at what we have to offer, right? And so it's a question which requires engagement, which, you know, of course, being a marketing guy, you know, we always want to lead off with a question that directly relates to somebody, right, and gets them hooked. So I do get, uh, you know, typically you know, three or four responses from every 15 uh, messages that I sent out. And those those messages tend to be 50-50, either yes or no. And uh, when somebody does say yes, rather than trying to cram everything into a LinkedIn message, um, I tried to move them off of LinkedIn as quickly as possible. So that we could, first of all, LinkedIn is difficult to manage your, your messages and search and flag and and you know, move into your to-do list and all of that. So it does get lost, even if you're in the middle of a conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Second of all, most people are looking at LinkedIn on their phone, so they have very limited text bandwidth to, to go off of. Uh, so what I've done, which is uh, a little bit different, is uh, my, my partner, he had, uh, like I mentioned, uh, successfully uh, raised a seed round for his startup back in 2009 which was a totally different environment, you know, equally as challenging. Um, but, you know, back then he could meet with people in person. And my initial strategy was to be traveling really across the U.S. and meet with all these people in person. And of course, COVID completely changed that. So what I did instead was, you know, I, I took my skills that, you know, I have in my back pocket and I, you know, built a private website that's exclusively just for investors, and I uh, created four different decks, uh, one, one for the primary deck, one for the brand and the mission, one for the, the product overview, and the other for the company roadmap, and then supplemental documents under that. And I put them all on one, one single page link so that I could send those to people. And that has been one of the most effective uh, effective things that I've done because it moves the conversation so much quicker. Um, if I was trying to get you know a Zoom meeting to explain what I wanted to talk with uh, these people about, there's, you got the back and forth and the scheduling, and then you finally land that meeting, and then you know you find out either you, they are, they aren't interested, they're kind of soft interested, and and all of that. 
what uh, this this strategy has done for me has allowed me to move to the next step very, very quickly. Um, I would say a little bit less than half of the people that I send this link to will get back to me and say, this looks cool. This is an amazing presentation. It's not quite the right fit for me. Let me refer you to a friend. Um, and then the other people, they say, yeah, let's let's book a call. Um, of course, they're, they're all the percentage of people that you know I send it to and then never hear back from and so I'll try to follow up with them once a week and then if after two weeks there's nothing I'm going to assume there's no interest and move them off my pipeline mm -hmm. right so next question is where you find those investors and you mentioned that you know there those are uh, you're looking at multiple factors prior to reaching out to the investor you know how related that investor is uh, when was the most recent investment etc where do you find all those uh, things do you actually make your research across all different platforms like crunchbase angelist uh, just yeah. basic Googling, or is there some particular uh, particular resource that you would recommend? I use all of those. My primary is definitely using LinkedIn search uh, filters, and I tend to get far more information a lot faster that way. Um, AngelList and Crunchbase uh, often are fragmented, or some of it is behind a paywall now. Um, and then in, independent Googling uh, does get you where you need to go sometimes. Um, but it takes a lot of legwork. You know, I have spent, you know, in some cases, like two hours, you know, just doing the research to find a person, you know, at a, at a company with, you know, somebody at an executive level who has a history of angel investing and right alignment from the outside, looking at company research through Google and then narrowing it down based off of that. Um, and those mediums are fine. You know, they, you know, a lot of the time, you know, those, those people, are not self-identifying. And I think that one of the important things for us to realize is that we live in an age where people must self-identify what they want. And that's what we're used to, right? And it kind of goes into the dating world, right? You've got, you know, everybody on on Tinder and Bumble, right? And, you know, it's so difficult to, you know, find, you know, a, a relationship of any kind uh, just through organic circumstances, not to mention during the times of, of COVID, right? So what I'm essentially doing is is creating a self-made algorithm, right? That matches, you know, people up the same way that Bumble might do, right? Um, in fact, there is you could use Bumble for business. Um, I did try that once. It's it, it, it. I mean, you get a meeting, but you know, it, the the value is questionable. But the point. Wait, hold on a second. Bumble for dating? What? <laughs> no, Bumble for business. Oh, Bumble for business. What, what do you mean by that? So there's three sides to Bumble. There's the dating Bumble app. There's the Bumble BFF app, which is for finding platonic friendships. And then there is the Bumble business app. And the Bumble business app uh, matches you up to network with people based off of your business interests and aspirations. That's yeah. really cool. I had no clue that Bumble for business existed. That's That's really interesting. And... Probably I'll check it out after the episode is over. <laughs> just, yeah. just out of curiosity, at least. Yeah, for uh, sure. But uh, let's talk about things that did not work for you in the past. So you've mentioned that Spray and Pray or God and Giant didn't work. Is there anything else you would highly recommend founders not to do while fundraising? 
Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I did that really didn't work was um, I tried to go full on marketing automation and list building. I have over a thousand people who I have scraped their email addresses off of my first degree LinkedIn connections and then created uh, like automation templates in order to pitch and nurture these people. And I feel like that was a big turnoff. I, I think that uh, people felt like I, you know, was not authentic, wasn't genuine, and uh, that, they, that the relationship I would have with them in the end would be part of a, a cattle call. And, uh, you know, so there, there is, you know, some level of automation that's okay. Like, you know, the 100 people that I have on the list who say they, they love the product, they want to see deeper validation and, you know, and stronger, uh, you know, more developed product. Uh, so they're kind of more ideal for a late seed, you know, round. Um, so, you know, those are the people who have requested to be in touch every month or two, mm-hmm. right? And so that's okay to just like have like a little newsletter, right? But, you know, when, when you're pitching, it's got to be, you know, super personal, super you know, related to who they are, what they do, and why they are the ones that not only uh, can bring you value, but uh, will receive value from being a part of your venture. Right, right. So now let's move on to the budget plane. So how much you're raising and why? Yeah, so our seed round, uh, so Technically, this is a, a pre-seed round. We're pricing it uh, at a lower valuation cap. Um, my, I, being my first time raising funds, I really was completely unaware of, of how to price things and what the terminology is. And, and my co-founder, he also, uh, you know, back in 2008, the, the idea of pre-seed was just simply called friends and family round. Um, however, uh, he and I do, do not have friends and family that, and help us raise the amount of money that uh, that we need. So the total that we're raising is 450, uh, and that's uh, for us to basically release a private beta version that will prove validation for the later seed round that's coming in. Um, so the 450 is what we need for development plus uh, operations, sales, and marketing to bring in about you know, the, the number of users that are needed in order to prove that validation uh, so that we continue, can continue to the full-fledged version of what we're building. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. Um, next question is about, you know, you have the plan budget and you start fundraising. Question is, when did you decide that, you know, now it is the time that I need to go out to investors and actually get some money? Uh, to you know, proceed with my business. So when was that moment? Did you generate any traction prior to that, or what was the decision-making point, basically? Well, we we knew that we needed uh, investors when we made the commitment to to work together, uh, given the the scope of what we were trying to do. Um, however, the exact amount that we knew we needed to raise didn't really become clear until about May, so about like four months ago, five months ago. I'm not. Can't really do math right now and going backwards but um w- what brought us to that really is uh you know with with two co-founders uh i being more of a sales and marketing background uh albeit you know i also am a full stack wordpress developer that doesn't help us here which leaves you know brian you know all on his own to do you know uh three or four people's worth of work it would take them you know three or four months 
the extent of that just really didn't make economic sense, not just you know for for him, but we would end up with uh, a product that was clearly subpar. So we had mapped out you know what this early beta you know proof of concept needs needs to be in function at at, at its core. And uh, with him being you know very experienced in managing development teams, it was fairly easy for him to price out and understand the human labor that's involved in doing that. So we, we, in order to build things, you know, correctly, uh, we wanted to find out exactly what the costs, not just from a development standpoint, but also a user acquisition standpoint. Even though we're doing a uh, a private beta, we needed to allocate, um, you know, the the dollars to get those users and and um, retain and engage those users, so that uh, you know they could be the the little ember that you know starts our bonfire here. Right. So now let's talk a little bit more about COVID and how it affected your fundraising process in terms of what you include in the pitch deck. So a lot of the investors I interviewed in the past you know, couple of months post COVID said that, you know, if they don't see anything COVID related and how your startup tackles, uh, you know, adapted to the new situation, basically to the new environment, they genuinely pass on it. So the question is, how much of the time, how, mu how many slides on your pitch deck are dedicated to how your business was transformed by COVID or you know, how much time do you spend on that, basically? Uh, the whole thesis of the business changed because of, of COVID. Uh, that's one of the reasons why in you know March, April, May till June, we really went back to the drawing board. Uh, initially, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, collaboration, you know, between teams that aren't technically integrated, that's that's one thing. Um, but uh, we were originally going to take that just to marketing agencies uh, and kind of focus on that particular niche. One of the feedback, uh, big points of feedback we got was that a subset of our product was more useful and had broader applications than what we imagined. And so, you know, basically before COVID, our, our thinking was too small. And then as we hit COVID, we realized that everybody can, can use this idea if we pull the secondary feature and put it in the front. And uh, so that really kind of made us rethink, you know, how, really why, you know, what we're doing. And the, the bigger challenge wasn't just doing that because it was basically the same, you know, similar solution, similar technology behind it. The difficulty that I had was finding a way to articulate it in a way that was so clear, so simple. And that one took me really until like, you know, a month ago. And that's what really kind of, I feel like gave me the best traction was, you know, when, when we finally, you know, said, you know, hey, we are looking to transform the future of work. And, uh, you know, we, we are a future of work startup and then we explain how, right? And how, you know, we help, you know, each you, all the users, managers and the HR directors, you know, make the future of work better for everybody. And uh, so now, you know, it's, you know, that's the first thing they see on my LinkedIn profile. That's the first, that's the first thing I message them. That's the first title they see on the, on the private link I send them. That's the first thing they see on the first page of the deck. They see that we we are here to provide a you know platform that enables uh, far better teams to form in this new era of work, and so really you know that's reflected on every single level. It it wasn't just you know this small little niche anymore of like you know hey let's help marketing agencies work together. 
we say, you know, let's help everybody work better on virtual and remote teams through this solution that we we have developed. And when we simplify that down to, you know, this is a, a future of work solution, we uh, people are thinking already, they're like, oh yeah, we need to see what this solution for the future of work is because of COVID. It's implied now in the messaging, as opposed to when we were kind of wandering in our messaging and getting a little bit lost in the technical weeds. Got it. So one more thing I actually forgot completely uh, to mention is the background on, in sales. So you mentioned it shortly, you know, uh, but the question is, would you recommend any other founders to actually put you know, quite some time into learning sales, into actually practicing sales prior to joining or starting a startup? Yeah, um, yeah, that was from our pre-interview. We were talking uh, about my background. Um, my first job straight out of college, uh, I got really lucky, even though it was September 2008, middle of the crash, right? And uh, I couldn't find any job, you know, on, on uh, Monster or, or Craigslist or whatever. So I had a list of entrepreneurs that I really respected in Seattle, where I was living, and um, I just sent Facebook messages to them. And I started working for uh, literally the guy that, you know, was the top of my list. And uh, he asked me after like, you know, two months, uh, he was like, what do you want to do when you, uh, because I was 20 years old. And, uh, and I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur and you know, I'm going to do what you do. And he's like, well, you know, uh, my, my investors, you know, and I have been friends since we were kids and they never trusted me with, with their money until I had at least, you know, 10 years of experience and I was in sales at real networks and this is what I did. And uh, so if you want to be an entrepreneur, what you need to do is you go out, get sales experience, find a need and fill it. And then he told me I didn't need to come into work on Monday and told me to go get started doing that. So, <laughs> yeah, rough. yeah, it was it was a little rough, but honestly, like, you know, depression aside, right, and frustration aside, right, it was by far the most valuable experience. Um, I was in sales for three years before I started my marketing agency. And uh, with the marketing agency, essentially what I did was sales. You know, I, I brought in the clients and then I hired the the you know teams to fulfill it and and, mm -hmm. and and you know the account managers and the managers over them, right? But I would just you know bring them in, right? And you know even even then you know selling you know marketing services, right? Uh, a million people sell marketing services, right? A million people on LinkedIn are hitting you up about marketing services, right? Yeah. So it was more of a question of saying like, how are we going to do things, you know, in a way that's different that really matters to our target market? And then how do we match that up? And that learning process of learning to uh, adapt and reframe, you know, is so important because yeah, there's, there's important disciplines to sales, right? You know, there's a, you know, prospecting, follow up, making sure that, you know, everything is in order, you know, not, not worrying about the no's. But I think the, the more or the most important thing is to have a good product, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if, if you have a good product, right, that is, is totally in alignment, then, uh, you know, eventually the, the sales start coming to you, right? And, yeah, it's important to have all the, you know, technical stuff dialed in. Um, but as an, as a salesperson, I definitely had that, you know, frustration working for other companies. I had that frustration of never selling the product that I wanted to sell. Right. 
Um, and then when you when you found a service business, you know, even if it's a marketing agency, you you get the the chance to listen, right? And then make adjustments, you know, to what you're doing and how you phrase what you're doing, you know, for people. And um, you know that that um, you know constant self evolution, you know, is so essential. I think so that you aren't just you know building the product that you want and then um, and then wondering why people aren't buying it, right? It's it's about you know listening to the customer and then um, understanding what it is that they really really want, right? And then you build the tool that does that in the easiest way possible, or you build the service that you know does that in the easy easiest way possible, right? And that takes a certain amount of intellectual humility, right? And, and you know understanding that sales is about service. It's about understanding the needs of people. And being able to, you know, take this thing, right, and present it to that person in order to solve their problem. And I think that that's something that some people are naturally gifted at and some people aren't. But at the end of the day, like, it has to be practiced. And that's a, a skill that has to be truly cultivated. And on the kind of, you know, second side of that is, you know, when I was told uh, get sales experience, find and even fill it, um, that's how I started that company was, through sales experience, you can find the need, right? You, you know, you start at the bottom, you, you talk to customers every single day about what they truly need, what they truly want. Uh, and you understand, you know, what their problems are, what their experience is. And then before you know it, you know, even if the product you're selling, you know, for your boss isn't working, maybe you see, you know, what product really would do the job. Great, right, really good points here. And on those good points, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So, Danny, <clears throat> what's the one thing you want to listen to do as soon as the episode is over? Um, well, again, like I said, I'm I'm the recession rookie here. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are so much more experienced, so much further along than I am. Um, but you know, I'm I'm also the guy you know trying to raise my first seed round in the middle of the first uh, pandemic in a hundred years where we can't actually meet with people. So, uh, you know my my advice to other people is that entrepreneurship is about the survival of the most adaptable, and you know it's it's so important to you know hold what you're doing with an open hand and not be afraid to listen to people's input and ideas, you know, especially when it comes to the product, but also how to go about what you're doing. And then the, the second one is, you know, this is this is a long haul game, you know, it takes endurance, you know, I'm, you know, still in my early stages, you know, even though I've been doing this for several months now. And, you know, it's hard, and that's okay. Um, so, you know, I, you know, want people to know, you know, it is an endurance game, but keep the faith, you know, get up every single morning and have a routine about what you know needs to be done. Like every single day when I get up, um, you know, I have a checklist of what I know needs to be done as far as outreach and follow up uh, refinements, you know, on what we're working on from the day before. And, you know, if you let that pipeline die down, right conversations stop happening then you have to boot up all that momentum again right. so you know just like you know understand you, yes you have to be consistent and it's going to feel sometimes you know i've had one or two weeks where i've had no meetings at all you just got to you know keep on pushing through 
because eventually you're going to, you know, you're going to learn, you know, what needs to be done. You're going to find that thing that works for you. And um, you're going to, you know, get, you're either going to get the momentum, you know, or you're, you're going to, you know, stagnate and die. It's kind of like, you know, swimming. You got to keep swimming. Move forward. Right. This is a, let's say positive note. So we'll wrap it up here. And my personal call to action is going to be, uh, first of all, I'm going to leave a link to go back, of course, in the description of this episode. So if you're curious, definitely check it out. And I'll also leave a link to the type form where you can just input your information in terms of information about your startup. And I will connect you to the to my network of investors and advisors, if I like you, of course. So definitely take a look in the description, find those links there, and have a good day.